five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. Here we go, Jack's Lynx. We've all got a wild side. Feed it with meat. Jack Lynx, feed your wild side. Okay. I like it because it's five. It's only 15 seconds. And then we can get to the rest of the news, which we all enjoy, right? We always enjoy the rest of the news. So here we go. So Sasquatch unleashes chaos in New Jack's Link. Feed your wild side. And uh, so what happens is the barber takes a bite of Jack's beef jerky and uh, traditional and uses a chainsaw to cut the hair. And uh, there's another one, which I'm not going to show, which is a little bit off color, if you ask me. Uh, Sasquatch is a beloved brand, a beloved icon for the brand, a spokes beast that helped grow the brand into what it is today. Fallon creative director Justin Miller tells Marketing Daily, his role in Feed Your Wild Side is as true today as when the initial campaign launched. One goal of the campaign is to introduce younger consumers to the brand, which launched in 1986. Can you imagine how time flies, right? And that's from Steve Elwanger from Marketing Daily. Okay, this was an interesting one. Sensors blocked. This site has been blocked from accessing your mobile sensors. Continue blocking or manage or done. This popped up on a site yes, or this morning called DigiDay. And I use a <laughs> – somebody – they tested nine sensors in this wired – and nine browsers in this wired ad. But, you know, your browser, especially on your mobile phone, but even on your regular phone, your browser has to know what kind – or has to know – I'm sorry, the website that you're that – you're, that you're, surfing on has to know what kind of browser you're using more or less and has to know whether you know to make the thing little or make it desktop or whatever it is so so your computer sends information to the website and it scales the images and you know does a lot of a lot of good stuff to it okay and um what i was thinking was when I saw this pop up, sensors blocked, motion sensor, especially this idea of motion sensors, I thought, wow, they're finally figuring it out. Remember I talked to you about how male, we know we get engagement, right? Because it, it, it won't throw itself away, right? So even if you don't buy from a mailing, a direct mail offer, you have to engage with it, right? So we know you engage with it. And so we know... Who engaged with it and bought? Everybody knows that because they bought. They have to, you know, buy something. Well, not everybody. The packaged goods companies don't know it because you're buying at retail. Well, they might know it. They might not. Depends on if you use your pig card. There's a lot of ifs in there. But you can just go in and, and buy a, a, a pack of Jack's uh, <laughs> jerky and they don't know who you are and you're, you know, you go home and they never know. Okay. Also, in, in direct mail, we know who engaged because it doesn't throw itself out and who didn't buy and that's magic that lets us have a labeled data set so we know where the fire hydrant is in the picture and we know where the fire hydrant isn't 
And you need both of those pieces of information to do effective machine learning, which is why we can make millions in, in machine learning and the rest of the world hasn't got a way to figure it out because they're missing the most important part, which is the labeled data set. Anyway, <laughs> so I was thinking when this popped up, woo, they're going to keep track of whether I'm moving in front of my computer and then they'll know that I at least was there. Because the problem with digital advertising is we not only don't know who <laughs> who saw the ad, we don't know if they're paying any attention. We don't know if they're even in front of the computer. We don't even know, you know, we don't know who served got served up to. No, you don't. Not on Facebook and and the and Google Ad Network, etc. You don't know unless you upload your list, which you can do. It's more expensive, but you can do it. Um, but most people don't do it. Most people say, well, find me some middle-aged, you know. <laughs> I don't know what middle-aged high-income people or something so in digital you don't know who 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 it got served to you don't know if they were paying any attention might have been out on the outside pieces and they just didn't pay attention and you certainly don't know if they engaged with it but if we could tell if they were alive and breathing and really was sitting there at least we would know that someone was sitting there you know Unlike, I, just for fun, the other night I left my my YouTube, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm looking at sailing channels, and I just left it go. I wanted to see where it would end up in the morning, you know, and uh, I just let it autoplay, dunk, 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 and of course I wasn't there at all. So I thought this was going to solve that, but that's not what this is. And here's an article from Wired. I always like Wired articles from Lily Hay Newman, and it's a little bit long. And it says, basically, because of that interaction between your browser and the website itself, and because they have to shape that content to your, to your browser, um, you know, you'll get the message from an app that says, you know, we want, an, we want your location, <laughs> right? And sometimes you get it from a website, you know, like uh, a national retailer like uh, Best Buy uh, will send me will will pop up a window and say, you know, we want to we want to access your location. Most of them just do it. Say this is the closest store, but sometimes they ask. Ah, good coffee. So, but on mobile, um the apps ask, but the websites don't. So, a lot of times I'll use a mobile website rather than an app cuz I just don't like having apps on my phone. Plus they can they can grab information in background. Whereas the websites only get it while you're on the website. So that's uh, an advantage. I'm trying to think of an example of where I use, well, ESPN would be a good one. I use ESPN a lot. The mobile website is actually better than the desktop or the mobile app for what I want it for. Because I don't want to read all about <laughs> women's badminton, let's just say. It's not a sport I follow. There's a, a, a hundred other sports I don't follow. But they don't allow you to tell them what you don't want to see. They only ask you what you do want to see. So on the mobile website, you can hit a button that says scores. And then you get only the results and the and the schedule for the people you want to follow. It's not available on the, on the uh, at least I don't think it is. And you have to log in to, to get anything on the desktop. But on the on the mobile, it just, there it is. I think I'm already logged in, so it's just, I just don't bother with it anywhere else. So anyway, I do use mobile apps. Oftentimes I use them in preference to the, I mean, I use uh, mobile websites in preference. Anyway, and they found thousands of these 
websites are tracking your location of some in some way, shape, or form. Um, they did try out nine different. It was funny. They tried out nine different browsers. I thought this was funny, and none of them are what I use. Chrome, Edge, Safari, Firefox, Brave, Focus, Dolphin, Opera, Mini, and UC browser. I have a used. I use some combination of most of those, but I use. I actually use. Um, well, I don't know what it's called. I was going to say Delphi. It's something like that, and it's a derivation from Brave, but it blocks even more cookies and things. <laughs> For a marketing guy, I'm not much fun for those trackers. <laughs> okay, anyway, so excellent article. Now you know if you see this pop up, there's actually a little, it was a little indicator that I moused over up here uh, in the, in the, this thing. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what this browser is. It's, it's, like I said, it's a derivation of Brave. I got it on Gab. Uh, okay, so why your brand should pivot from direct consumer to retail. And this is a, yeah, I hadn't heard about this trend. Okay, this is a very timely article from Adweek. <clears throat> and, uh, and it, it, you know, I don't know that much about retail, I have to say. I've worked with some huge retailers <laughs> and we've done some great work. <laughs> but, you know, the actual process of retail I don't have that much experience. But anyway, they said with the removal of third-party cookies, the low barrier to entry, in other words, a lot of com competition, whatever you come up with and is successful in D2C, someone is going to knock it off. The supply and demand of digital direct-to-consumer marketing platforms create a challenge for almost every, every consumer packaged goods sector. Okay? And what they really said was... Um, you can't make money. What this says is you can't make money at direct consumer. And it's there's a lot of truth to that. It's, it's hard, right? It's hard because uh, the the uh, pay-per-click has multiplied by a thousand percent since the 19, since uh, 2006 when we started tracking it, which is when it really started. Okay. Um, direct to consumers, uh, a pivot takes a contrarian stance on the unavoidable takeover. I love this line. Of, an, of online consumers. Smart brands are leaning into national retail relationships with a physical and digital footprint. And I started thinking about it. You know, I started thinking about a clever little uh, K's Candies, I think it's called. Um, and uh, I've been talking with them for really like 35 years or something. And um, and they just got a new relationship with, with one of the convenience chains that is thousands and thousands of stores. And, you know, it's one, it's their salesperson talking to the, talking to the uh, buyer and it's not a big decision for the chain and it's not, it's, it's a huge sale for this little company. Uh, you can make those wins in retail, you know, if you get started and it's not something you have to do right away. You know, you can probably think about it, but oftentimes there are requirements for how much can you ship, you know. How much do you have in reserve? If it really takes off, what are we going to do? And sometimes that's what kills you when you make that shift. Anyway, so um, bottom line, first, your brand can embrace a retailer's online opportunities. That's true. Oftentimes, retailers will allow you to also ship them to your their warehouse. Sometimes you ship them to their warehouse or distribution center, and they fulfill to the store most of the time. Sometimes you fulfill directly to the store. Uh, you know, each 
Each retailer can be different, and sometimes you can fulfill to their online distribution. Um, but here's the numbers. Second, the numbers don't lie. Projections for 2024 suggest 72% of retail stores will occur offline. And what by, they mean by retail is not in-store. What they mean by is all consumer purchasing of consumer goods. That, that basically three-quarters of it is still at the store in 2024 still so yeah e-commerce keeps growing it's been the big news but it was kind of a lie you know whenever we saw those up 25 percent you know e-commerce in real small type is up 25 percent yeah okay but it didn't amount to a hill of beans right that up 25 percent was still only 10 percent of, of retail sales okay so brick and mortar stores are still the predominant driver of purchases now that doesn't mean you can't do direct to consumer and my argument would be that if you're in retail, you should do some direct-to-consumer. Everybody should do some direct-to-consumer because we have the engagement. We can tell what's going on. We can show you what's working. And then you can pour gas on it with your digital or with your relationships in retail. You can use those to leverage your relationship with, with, with retailers who want to get in on the next big thing. You know, uh, years ago, I did some work with Sonicare, and they were just coming out, and I and they told me what they were doing, and they said they were, you know, talking to Walgreens, and they were talking to other retailers, and they just couldn't get much traction, but they were talking also to, um, to uh, Sharper Image, and I said, you know, cultivate that Sharper Image, just get in there anyhow, any way you can, because all of the retailers looked at the at that time to, to catalogers for new product ideas. So your direct-to-consumer is a good way to get your product noticed and then leverage that to get back into retail. So it's not an either-or thing. And oftentimes, since you already have a direct-to-consumer presence, they'll allow you to keep selling. So I worked with uh, Chicago Cutlery, General Housewares, and uh, they were selling direct-to-consumer covertly. They just put the 800 number on their packaging and on their product somewhere, especially on their fry pans. <laughs> they had an 800 number. You could buy, you know, a lid for the fry pan. The retailer might not handle the lid. In fact, I noticed it. it's a trend. Most fry pans don't come with lids. <laughs> it's it's, it's a, a real puzzle. And uh, my daughter got me a, a beautiful, clear lid. <laughs> At the uh, at the Goodwill store, it was like a dollar, and it fits like a glove on this beautiful fry pan that I have. So, um, so, so you know, covert is a good is a good start. Just doing a little bit, but we can leverage that for for a lot of market information, more than you'll get from the retailer oftentimes. Okay, with 70%, 74% of shoppers making purchase in-store, building ma mainstream band awareness exclusively online is nearly impossible. And there's the false assumption that direct-to-consumer leads to greater customer loyalty than working with traditional retailers. All true. Okay, so anyway, that's an excellent article. I'm not going to go to the rest of it where it tells you how to get into retail. That's another thing. That's not my thing. Uh, but let's get finally to finish up. Direct response copy is based on science. And here's uh, Craig Huey. Most traditional agencies create branding, art, and copy. And the reason is they're not really talking direct. They're not talking in an, in an environment where a consumer can buy right now. You know, they have to go to a retailer's website or they have to go someplace. Uh, and so especially for consumer packaged goods, they just want to get in your head. They want, you know, like Jack's Sasquatch. They just want to get in your head. 
so that when you're standing there in front of all the beef jerky, you think, oh, I want the Sasquatch one, right? But that doesn't motivate your prospect to respond, no. Being in front of, <laughs> at, the, at the Quick Trip or the 7-Eleven, in front of that rack of, of uh, you're already in front of the rack of jerky, which one are you going to pick? Sasquatch, right? So in that contest, it makes sense. But direct response marketing is based on the science of what makes advertising effective. And what I mean by effective is what generates a, a, a response right now. So the tried and true direct response copy. And I talked to, uh, to Carl. Uh, oh, I see if I get his name wrong. Carl. Carl. Oh, Carl Ghiadetti or something like that. Um he is the he's the one who put together the scientificadvertising.com. It wasn't loading for some reason on one of my browsers, uh, and uh, and so I called him up on the phone and said it wasn't didn't seem to be working. And sure enough, it was working. But we had a nice conversation, and uh, it's the hundredth anniversary of uh, Claude Hopkins, just you know seminal book called Scientific Advertising, um, and uh, every everyone who writes any kind of advertising copy should definitely get it but anybody in advertising anybody in marketing should definitely give it a read and he explains that he doesn't he didn't come up with most of this stuff the direct mail people did for 50 years they've been testing okay now you've got 150 years of testing and so you got to listen to guys like craig and myself i hope um so first grab the attention of your prospect position your Company and your product and your prospect's mind. Identify your unique selling proposition, which Craig focuses a lot of energy on. Overcome your prospect's skepticism and object and objections, not objectives, probably, probably objections. Create a branding <laughs> effect that will help you gain market share. And what you know, what we're what he's saying here is is not mutually exclusive. I mean. If you only do branding without a response device, you probably won't receive responses directly. <laughs> but you can create advertising with a response device that also does create a branding effect. Okay, so why not do both? A direct, resp direct response copy doesn't necessarily begin with a clever idea. It begins with you. And what we mean by you is them, <laughs> your customer. Okay, so a good, good landing page will... Will dis you you your you will your prospect will discover what's unique and remember yesterday we talked about discover versus learn. Bob Hacker, that's the name of the. I actually looked it up. Bob Hacker taught me that discover that word much more powerful than learn because learn has school associations. Okay, decide exactly how your prospect will benefit. Create a specific clear theme. Develop a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship. Don't oversell that. It's not a really a relationship. It's it's a sale. You get the sale. Reveal your unique selling proposition to your prospect. USP. Okay. So there he talks about that. So that was excellent. Thank you for that, Craig Huey. All right. Good stuff. I actually went home and read the entire Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl that I talked about yesterday. It's up on yesterday's show note. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.